Hello, and welcome back to Socially Distance. Uh, I am Al Manorino. With me, as always, is the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, Mr. Bill Bakken. Bill, how are you? I am I am just out on Dream Street right now, man. I am ready to give insightful commentary, and this is episode number 13. So what better way to celebrate it than bringing back, wow, as a massive cannon goes off in my town. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, same over here. Yeah, I... Um, our, our two of our favorite people for lucky number three, uh, Kat Manos and Al, since you know his to pronounce his last name. Cole Rothacker? Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome back, both of you. How's, how's quarantine living? Uh, you know, um, the walls of society slowly crumbling, uh, just taking it uh, one cannon shot at a time. Now... How was, uh, so, you know, in recent weeks, I think me and Bill briefly talked about it uh, on last week's episode that has not been posted yet. Um, Which we recorded, I, like, what, two days ago? Two days ago? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, um, have you have have you guys been seeing, like, a lot of protests in your general area? Have you guys been participating yeah. in or anything like that? Uh, uh, we live next to a park, and ah. there has been much protest. Mm-hmm. Um I am an uh, immunocompromised person, yeah. so mostly that means standing on the balcony and uh, cheering uh, in my pajamas. Um, mostly just been donating, um, which it doesn't feel like much, but I know that it, it's something. It is. There's a lot of really, really good organizations Um that I've been uh, submitting to. God, I should have put together a list. Um, but I could let some people know about some of them. Um, a really good one is called... Uh, hold on. The Black Trans Advocacy Coalition is a really, really good one. Um, it's specifically helping... Um, uh, black trans people during COVID right now who don't have insurance, who need access to testing, who need a lot of things right now. And obviously trans people and health is such an issue right now as it was announced yesterday, um, that the administration, um, basically federal funding will no longer go to trans people under the affordable care act, um, which sucks. So now um, we really need to donate as much as we can to help an already double marginalized part of society. Um, yeah, so just just trying to do those things on our end. And when when you're cheering people who are protesting on from the balcony, have you seen any like cute doggo spottings? <gasps> yes, there's lots of doggies. Um, there was a ton of fire trucks yesterday, and there was a little dog that was a wooing with the <laughs> fire trucks. Yeah, I, hope, uh, I hope Monroe is not in the room while you're talking about dogs. <laughs> no, she's sleeping in the other she's room. Like, there you go. Right, you do not talk about other animals but me when I'm awake and in the room. It's kind of yeah, like I'm... how I, I operate. We're actually going to have, um, speaking of, um, you were talking about a lot of charities and organizations supporting trans lives which um obviously are really took a massive hit yesterday 
due to um, the bullshit president we have. Um, I have to give a lot of credit to our social media manager, uh, Alicia Weinberger, who's going to be uh, posting a lot of advocacy groups that people could donate to and learn about stuff on the Pop Break uh, Twitter, which is at popbreak.com. Uh, uh, t- notice to not like they'd be listening to all the assholes who have un- who have unfollowed us due to our social, you know, trying to post stuff to better the world. Um, I'm glad you don't read th- and check out the site anymore. You're- eat a bag of dicks. I mean, you're the worst. So I just don't care. I've picked. So- I've been. In- I'm sure we've all been in a lot of family and friend and acquaintance fights this week. So That's yes. Good. Yeah, yes. I literally, I literally went on a tirade last night while slightly hammered about uh, someone saying they stand with um, what's that potato face fucker's name with the bow tie? Oh, Tucker Carlson. They stand, yeah. they stand with him, and I was just like, he'll be fine. He's a millionaire. He'll get his sponsors back, and also he's a raging piece of shit. So who cares, guys? It's true. Yeah, people need um, to get their priorities straight. And and to make matters worse, uh, from the last uh, couple days. Uh, Cole, I, I would think that you'd want to speak up about um, the passing of Mr. Denny O'Neill. Oh, yeah, that was a shame. Um, I was actually just reading a Moon Knight comic because that's, that character is kind of a blind spot for me. And so I, I think I saw Dennis Cowan posting about it. And then, and then I, just, I just felt like starting up that, reading that run. Um, again, a little context first. So I was reading his first appearance in Werewolf by Night, but yeah, Denny O'Neill. He was. Uh, he was. Uh, so I saw someone on Twitter say that other than Bill Finger, he's like the most important comic book writer to touch Batman, and I would say that's correct. Like of a lot of modern day Batman comes from like what Denny O'Neill. Like Denny O'Neill literally took. Batman from Adam West and kind of made him more of like a serious character yeah. again. Way before um, Frank Miller, Denny yeah. and Neil Adams, yeah. you know, uh, that that run. Um some of the most iconic stories and covers uh from them uh, from them uh created Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul yeah. in that yeah. in that uh epic run. And then also, you know, I don't think people are giving enough credit to the hard traveling heroes, the uh, his him and Neil Adams run on uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Yeah, um, you know th- he's done so many important um, storylines, uh, yeah. you know, and influential storylines, and in, uh, for Marvel and DC. Yeah, um, you know the stuff with the question as well that he did, yeah. and um, he. He, you know, Daredevil, and you know, I'm a huge Daredevil fan too, and he did some pretty great stuff as well. Uh, he will be sorely missed. Um, yeah, just another another big hit for the the comic book community. Created John loss. Stewart, the Green Lantern character. I mean, yeah. like for for me, that was like Green Lantern for me growing up before they resurrected Hal Jordan. Yeah, I mean, like they were they like in terms of like inclusivity, like mm-hmm. Neil Neil and Denny were so ahead of their time, like making a, 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 you know, not just a, uh, a black superhero, but one that didn't have stereotypical black origins. Like he was a soldier, I believe, and not like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a street tough or whatever, like kind of like, like Luke Cage or, yeah. you know, like he, he, they really like kind of like 
pushed boundaries too. I mean, and also going back to the Green Lantern Green Arrow arc, like um, having Speedy be a drug addict and having to deal with yeah. that, like that was so ahead of its time too. So Denny will be yeah. sorely missed. And if you haven't re- read any of his stuff, please go find ba- his his Batman run, his Green Arrow Green Lantern run. Um, he's had his hands on like every influential yeah. character too. I mean, if you grew up reading Batman in the '90s, like you know Danny O'Neill's name because he pretty much controlled. Like he wasn't—he was the editor, so he wasn't writing them as much. But he—he he basically directed, like, creatively where Batman went, like throughout the '80s and '90s and into the 2000s. He's written many novelizations. He wrote the Dark Knight novelization. Um, yeah, he's uh, really sad. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have on him just like we have one on Bill Finger. Oh yeah. What is the name of that documentary? It's Search of Bill, I think. Have you guys seen it? What was it called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but it's the, the Bill Finger documentary on. Uh, it's on. Is it on Hulu or Prime? It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay. I watched it a while ago, and basically, it, it was very informative to me mm-hmm. because I am someone who you know knows. I've read a couple of comics. I generally know things. I'm like. Oh yeah, the creator of Batman, Bob Kane. I, mm-hmm. I know this, but yeah, no, same. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a man named Bill Finger. And so the whole documentary was about um, basically a guy who became obsessed with trying to learn about Bill Finger and what happened. And honestly, the whole documentary isn't too nice to Bob Kane. No, by the yeah. end, I'm like, fuck Bob oh, Kane. Yeah. yeah, he's a giant pile of crap. Yeah, mm. yeah. But- I mean, it's really just fascinating how you find out what Bill Finger actually contributed to Batman lore, which is basically everything. Everything, yeah. Like, it's pretty much the basics of Batman comes from Bill Finger. And then just to see how he kind of faded into obscurity and poverty. And, like, he literally died alone in his apartment. Yeah. And was, like, found a couple days later by a friend. Same way Steve Ditko died, like, only last year. Yeah, it's- but Dick, Ditko was a recluse. Like, he, like, I don't think he died in poverty. He he had all, I think he had all of his art. Like, he could easily have made zillions of dollars from his from his art. I think he yeah. was just a recluse. Like, he was, he didn't do comms and anything. He was, like, notorious for just being uh, by himself. But, yeah, Bill Finger died, um, again, in obscurity and no money and, no fame until like people were like, we need to do something about this. A little too late, but still. Yeah, it's uh, no no spoilers, but it's very interesting because it comes to tracking down his family. Does he have family? Um, it's so crazy how like hard it was to actually discern that. Yes, that's how yeah. obscure the guy had become. Yes, and, and it's it, the guy that created Batman. I know. It's, it's crazy because it happened to. Um, it, the 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 DC creators really just have a like bad string of luck. I mean, the guys who created Superman, yeah. um, they sold the character in like the '40s or whatever for like ten grand or something, and then like yeah. it became like the it became the biggest character in the world, mm-hmm. and like they were trying to get some of the money back, and for years they were fighting. And I think it was actually Neil Adams going back to him who helped get them um at least the credit for creating the character let alone the money yeah is insane uh just don't create characters for dc i guess at this point no yeah you no. will get screwed 
And that was just back then when it was just kind of people who didn't really know what they were doing. I mean, when they were making Superman and Batman, I don't think they imagined they would be like billion dollar IPs for like major corporations. No. Years in the future. I think they were just like, this is like a one and done job for us, whatever. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of them fell prey to that. Uh, well into, I mean, only in the last like 30 years has it been be, have they started to address it. Yeah, 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 and that's and that's a big part of the the documentary as well. Um, you, you find out a lot of things about Bill Finger, like he was actually a queer man, and um, which I personally think is very interesting because that kind of plays into how many people, directors, namely, have interpreted Batman as being like a queer character, um, yeah. particularly. Um, What's his face? Who directed that? Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher, um, quite famously, um, saying that he's always seen Batman and Robin as being quote extremely gay, and a lot of things like that. But anyway, good time. Good, yeah, this good is great. This is a great lead into our uh, topic, which has nothing to do with comics or anything. It actually <laughs> has to do with. Uh, uh, the Oscars of all things in a in a segment we like to call seriously what the fuck what the actual fuck uh, this week's what the fuck is kind of a good one yeah something something uh, I didn't really expect I mean you know we again briefly talked about the things that are happening happening right now in the country and around the world with the the uh, murder of George Floyd the Black Lives matter movement um and uh you know trying to find the end of police brutality a lot of brands and organizations and companies are kind of uh using this time not only to um you know listen and, and try to be better for the most part they're also being reflective and seeing like what can they do as an organization uh or a brand or a company whatever to be better uh, one of those who, who got a lot of heat uh, a few years ago, back in 2016, um, were the Academy uh, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, back in 2016, um, you, may have, you may remember the Oscars So White uh, hashtag and oh. kind of a movement that happened when uh, basically there were like no uh, women or uh, people of color uh, recognized for any achievements in 2016 outside of like maybe a couple. Um, so, uh, the Oscars, uh, just recently this week, um, they voted for like, um, um, new inclusion initiatives and then, um, basically expanding the best picture category. Now, Bill, yes. remind me of this is, uh, the Grammys too came out basically this week too. And basically said that they are renaming some of the categories, right? Like urban they're taking out. Um, hmm. yeah, music editor might know better than me. Oh, that's true. Uh, the, uh, I believe Cat. urban contemporary got changed. Uh, I could tell you in yeah. a second. Um, yeah, I know that got changed. I, I remember reading that. Um, and then, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, Grammy um, Awards renamed controversial urban categories. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, best Urban Contemporary Album will be replaced with Best Progressive R&B Album, which makes way more sense. Yes, uh, it does. And, uh, and then Best best Rap 
sung performance is now best melodic rap performance. And then they they changed a few um, Latin categories as well. So what I'm saying at this point is uh, companies are trying to be a little more sensitive to what is happening around the world. And, um, you know, again, there are also companies out there who are maybe not doing great. Um, one of my favorites fans and celebrities who aren't saying shit. Oh, don't even get me started. But one of my favorites was, um, on, on black Tuesday when, um, basically all of social media or people in support of the movement, uh, used like a black square to, to show, um, you know, um, solidarity. solidarity, solidarity. Thank you. Support. Um, you know, all these brands were doing it. Um, my favorite being the Washington Redskins Ugh. showing support. <laughs> and uh, and I think it was AOC who, like, quote tweeted and said, like, if you want to, like, be better, maybe you should change your name. No, the, um, the company that did the most is motherfucking Ben and Jerry's. Who are just oh, my like, God. Who are just like, guess what? Kings. We've just Kings. been waiting for this, guys. Here we go. Here's everything. Yeah. And you're just yeah. like, oh, if I could eat ice cream. Oh. Every day, I'd support you. Ben and Jerry's, it was it was like the first moment where I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are fucking from Vermont. They're, they're from the, like, the part of Vermont where like, Bernie is from. Yeah. They're just up there and they're like, abolish the system. <laughs> Fuck you. Also, have a Cherry Garcia. Do you think they'll make a Black Lives Matter ice cream? They already uh-huh. made something... Um, in regards to all this, and I don't remember what it was called. I don't remember, but there is there is a brand. I don't. I don't think it's called. I don't. I don't know. If it's black, I don't know if it goes to charity or whatnot. But I think there is a brand they just did, or flavor. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But moving back to the Oscars, I mean, we oh, could talk about ice cream. Oh, yeah, we can make this an ice cream podcast. Um, yeah. So I, I guess. The first thing that I'll ask you guys is the you know the the new inclusive initiatives that they're putting out. Let's just let's just get like general like feedback. I want to start with Cat too. Is just like, um, do you agree that the Oscars have been predominantly white, and what do you think that they can actually do within the organization to uh, make that not true anymore. Like what, 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 what do you want to see Oscars 2020 that would make you feel like there, you know, everyone is being represented to the fullest extent. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I mean, definitely the Oscars have had a lot, a lot of problems and it's very confusing because I do think that there has been progress. Um, they made an initiative a few years ago that I finally kicked in last year where they were going to double the number of women and people of color who were officially uh, Academy members. They wanted which, that done by 2020. That's what they, that was the goal for like they start. I think they did. They set in 16 to be effective mm-hmm. for 20. And I think some of these changes will be effective by 25. I think some yes. will happen, but if they ultimately want everything hit by 25. Right, right. Um, and that that's exactly right. And they have hit those initiatives for 2020. They have, like, doubled the number of members and stuff like that. So, like, that's great. And if you think about actual, like, winners and things that have happened, it's like, 
you know, Jordan Peele won. That's fantastic. Uh, last year, I mean, it feels like centuries ago now. Not even last year. It was just a couple of months ago. Jesus Christ. But Parasite, like, swept a ton. Like, Bong Joon-ho, best director. like Best everything. Best everything. Best everything. Um, but we're also a year removed from Green Book winning exactly. Best Picture, exactly. which if you've read the site last year, I think um, Matt and Marissa, our Oscar gurus, literally were just like trying not to light themselves on fire in pure anger. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then and they do stuff like this where it's like, okay, we're going to allow 10 movies to be nominated. It's for sure going to be 10. It's not going to be sometimes eight or nine or whatever it's happened. I'm like, okay, sounds good. They're um, requiring like more strict things. You have to have more diverse crews, all of this. I'm like, this is great. This, this sounds good. But also not that long ago, someone like Brett Ratner was recently added to the board and Brett Ratner has a history of, like sexual indecency, I don't know how else to say it, but like assaulting women, and it's like what, like what's going on? He also has a history of being fired by the academy. Yes, um, and it was kind of—I mean, I don't even want to say it was shocking because it's not even that shocking. But just a few weeks ago, um, in light of everything's going on, I oh, I think it, it came as a response um, to. Uh, the Academy having, you know, one of those messages, we see you, we hear you, which to me is just like a trigger of, you, you don't see shit, you don't hear shit. Um, but I saw that um, the actor David Oelowo, who played uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in the movie Selma, um, said uh, during a Zoom conversation that he and the crew at um, a red carpet event when the movie came out wore I can't breathe shirts um, in response to uh, Eric Gardner. Eric thank Garner. you. Um, and apparently um, people in the Academy told him to basically like quote, like knock that off. Don't be political right now. This is like making you look bad. And the director of the film, Ava DuVernay confirmed that this happened on Twitter. And it's just like, that wasn't even that long ago. So it's like when things like this happen, I'm like, this sounds good on paper. This is good. But then you hear you look at the greater narrative in the story and you're like, systematically, are things getting better when you still have people making comments like that? When you still have people like Brett Ratner getting on the fucking board of directors who's a mess? It's like not even a good director. No. No, I mean, oh, he did so many great things as I don't even know what the hell he directed. Uh, um, top of my head, Tower Heist, uh, the last, the last stand. Yeah, uh, the worst. <laughs> so bad, I hate that movie. I like, uh, I like that uh, Nicolas Cage movie where he uh, it's like a wonderful life. That one's okay. The Weatherman. Yes. No. Why did yes. I remember that? No, the Why Family do Man. You remember that? The Family Man. Yeah, he was a weatherman in the movie. Yes. I think. Yeah, yes. there you go. There you go. Um, in the Family Man. He's like, uh, he's like some like dickhead. Like he's like an American psycho guy or something. Yeah. Like like a Wall Street guy, like a big piece of shit. And then he like insults. I think it's Chris Rock, but he's like an angel. 
And then, like, he grants him a wish, and then he's, like, in the New Jersey suburbs now, and his is life was... dogma? <laughs> <laughs> is this down-to-earth? Chris Rock is an angel? What is happening? Yeah. It, oh, wait, Wait, how many times is Chris Rock been an angel? Because he's an angel in Dogma too. Wait, he, it might have not been him. No, he was. Was he an angel in Dogma, or was he? He was. Well, he's, he was. He was. Uh, he was an he apostle. Was an apo- he was an, an apostle. apostle but, yeah, but, I don't know. but he was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was wrong. It was Don Cheadle. Oh uh, my god, dude. Okay, it's fine. Uh, totally, totally different men. Yeah, totally different men. Both hilarious. <laughs> Only one of them was a voice on DuckTales. And this is why we need these changes within the Academy so yes. we stop confusing Chris Rock and Don Cheadle. Yes. yes. Luckily, Cole is not a member of the Academy. Well, true. You know what? I'm here saying we need to give better roles for black actors it's instead true. of just uh, being angels that help white people. It's true. Um, I do have, a, I do have some, a question for Cole specifically. So um, part of the the changes that the the Academy is making is they're going to go back to the 10 uh, Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, the first time they did this was in response to The Dark Knight not getting a nomination back in 2008. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because the reader really needed to be nominated that year oh, uh, and not The Dark You're, Knight. You just have a real vendetta against the reader. I really do. Kate Winslet was really good in that movie. Yeah, but is it Never better seen. than The Dark Knight? No. Kate Winslet was the only redeeming thing about that movie. Yes. Um, and I'm plug right now. Uh, there is an excellent podcast that I did uh, with myself and uh, Marissa and Matt, the the resident Oscar people on popbreak.com. And we discussed this entire year of the Oscars. And truly, the takeaway is what the fuck was the reader? Thank you. Yeah. That's, it's like and the winner still is our retrospective Oscar podcast. Yeah, it's like basically child pornography that was Oscar nominated. Oh, um, Jesus Christ! Well, <laughs> kind of um, though. Anyway, let's let's get back to the kind, kind of. He's though. not wrong. He's not wrong. Thank you. Uh, but 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 my question for Cole is: um, Do you think this is a smart play? Because basically adding five additional best picture nominees to be more inclusive does that really prove that they're doing something helpful here because you know a, a great example of which was i think little women was nominated for best picture but um uh please help greta me cat greta gerwig was not directed uh, was not nominated for best director yeah so the movie was good enough to be a best picture but the person who directed it was not worthy of a nomination so because that movie's great because of what she did Exactly. Yes. So, do you think that this is the the right play here to to, to add more nominations? Is, is that going to help? Uh, I I don't know if it's going to help. I think they're doing it so they look like they're doing something, but really they're just doing something they've done before. And I mean, I I forgot they didn't nominate ten. Like I thought they did. It feels like they yeah. nominate a movie. So movies. what? So what? Uh, and I and I again want to credit Matt and Marissa for this because um, they're the Oscar geniuses is and i mean that not sarcastically is that the nomination the that first year they did 10 and then it was up to 10 and it's like you had to get so many first place votes from so many different board members or, or um uh, people who can vote voting members i should say and then you could be considered a best picture nominee uh nominee um and so that's why some years that were seven or eight or nine or 
10. Right. So, yeah, so it varied. Um, there are also yeah. some different things that are in play here too, is they're going to be doing, uh, making screeners available a lot earlier, like quarterly. So films that come out earlier in the year, like mm-hmm. now it used to be that earlier releases never even got a, a sniff, but you know, a film like get out, which was, I want to say if, February or March release, you know, yeah, obviously, ha, you know, but that took a lot for that to be nominated. Like that had to become a cultural phenomenon for the mm-hmm. Black Panther, same way to be nominated. Um, and so they're going to be doing the quarterly ones like that. And also, I think they're also going to be rotating out uh, governors and board members, I think to like, they're, lim- they're doing term limits. So they're going to yeah. be changing over a lot of the people who are like in power, which in theory, could be good. But in theory, we could just be getting the same, <laughs> different variations of the same douchebag. You know what I mean? So, I yeah. So there's all that in play as well. I just want to give that context out for people who don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, the whole we're going to do ten nominations now to be to fix this diversity diversity issue. That's kind of like how they're saying that they're going to make chokeholds illegal, even though, like, they have been since the 90s. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of... I, I don't know. I don't I, I don't think... The, the way they're really going to change is, you know, it's it would require them to do something that I don't think they're prepared to do, which is to acknowledge that most of the people that vote for these movies in the Academy are old white people, mm-hmm. and it's because of the rules they have in place. It just sort of allows older white people a lot of of whom aren't even like in the film industry like they not anymore they they, like produced some movies in the 70s and 80s and now they just like collect paychecks because like they created the federal government yeah 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 they're just collecting royalty checks and and then they just vote on movies and they're not even really like a part of the industry and i don't know Mm -hmm. i feel like they're gonna have to make changes to that like like no one over the age of fifty-five can vote, or if you vote, you you have to have like been involved in a film production within the last five years or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I don't think you could do like because they'll get an age discrimination thing there because you'll, you'll you still have yeah. actors who are actively like like a Clint yeah, Eastwood or an Anthony Quinn who are going into their late eighties, early nineties. But you're right, yeah. like there's a lot of people who are just like you have to be active. Well, Rob, I, I read somewhere that I don't remember where I read this too, but I want Mel Brooks to still vote because he true. fucking hates it. Um, <laughs> I, I I read somewhere that Ron Howard, when he's uh, showing his uh, the first place that he goes to show his movies, are the the nursing homes, the retirement homes in L.A. because that's where all the uh, the Academy voters are. Oh, oh my god! Well, that so, that one nursing home guy. Sadly, it got ravaged uh, when COVID broke out. That was really, uh, that got hit really, really. Bad. That's really bad. Yeah, but yeah, so that um, that's a good point. Yeah, they they do really have to make. That's the kind of changes that we need to see. Um, you guys yeah. see that article that comes out every year where it's like this is what an anonymous academy yeah. yep. really thinks, yeah. and it's always clearly like some fifty-seven-year-old white guy who like. He like produced a few movies in the eighties, and now he's got some rinky-dink production company out in Santa Monica, just like 
making kickboxing deep dive into like some sub California film hate right there. You're like fucking Santa Monica. Oh, you, I'm, I'm definitely not describing an internship I worked at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you and, make kickboxing and, videos? Uh, yeah, and animated videos and and like dark ride animation is a weird place. Wow, uh, I just wanted to talk about kickboxing and how the time I I got we I because of a story I wrote I got legally threatened by Billy Blanks of Taibo. This Ooh, is a true cool. story. Oh my god! So, so total sidebar for a second. So I'm in college. So this is when I first started writing for the school paper, like like full time. We did one f- food review a year. I changed that when I took over. We did one food review a year. The only new restaurant in our area was a Popeyes. And we're like, so like, Bill, go to Popeyes with the, the managing editor and write about it. And I'm just like, fucking Popeyes, guys. Like, the food's good, but like, I like it. But it's like, how can this be? How can I write a review? So I wrote this ridiculous Gonzo epic poem about going there, like how we traversed over the dangerous hills of New Brunswick to to be this Epicurean feast with my 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 friend Darren, who's uh, you know skilled in the art of Tai Bo. So by me saying that, four months later, in a fucking Popeye's review, Billy Blank's legal team sends us a letter saying, if you do not refer to this as Tai Bo registered aerobic kickboxing in future stories, we will sue you for, like, copyright infringement. Wow. And I'm just... (laughs) And so we posted that thing up for years. That was up there for years. But yeah, so yeah, kickboxing almost got me sued. My last question for Bill uh, regarding this topic is kind of can I answer? You know, related. Can I answer the 10, 10 first too, like real quick? Like oh sure, go. So go I'll, ahead. You could totally take a tissue. Um, <laughs> she wants to clean rocks. She found. She will ask me to take her downstairs in a second. Um, so I think the 10 is, it's good in some respects, just hang here for a sec, um, is that you're going to, the opportunity for uh, international film and independent <laughs> film and other types of film that would normally not make that 10 um, or 8 or whatever, um, that's really good. So there's inclusion in that respect. Um now, in um, Al, you can ask me that question now. So it's 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 kind of related, adjacent, but you know, we've me and you have talked uh, at length over Facebook about the Oscars, whether we're watching it or you know we had just watched it, and we talk about man, this shit is long, or man, this is annoying, or whatever. But one thing we always do talk about is like um, the people not getting recognized, and not just. Um, directors not being nominated, but like um, stunt professionals not getting the, the recognition they deserve. Do you, what, what kind of awards should we be tele, uh, televising, and what, what, what awards should be added uh, to make this more inclusive and not not just in a these people need to be nominated for best picture and best director um, and best uh, actor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that on a second because I have a small one screaming to walk down. I will have Cat answer it. Yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I'll come back. Okay. Um, I think that's a really good question and something I've thought about. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts, but I I've been seeing that a lot of actors, um, 
and actresses recently have been saying that they want to get rid of uh, the gender split categories um, because they think it's like, how, how do you compare, um, uh, you know, a, a man's performance and a woman's performance, th- that whole thing. And I definitely think that that's um, worthy topic of discussion. I just worry that by doing that, then it's just going to be a bunch of men nominated um, and then there won't be enough women getting recognized. And all of this is to say that something that I have really wanted in the past is instead of having just the best director, why not having like the best male director, the best female director? I, I don't actually know if that would solve anything, but there's so many incredible female directors who haven't even been nominated. Like it's truly pathetic. If you look at the numbers, um, especially because the, uh, category for, um, best directors of documentaries is almost always all women. And so I'm just like, what if we created another, like if, if you split the genders or something so, you know, we can have the incredible directors like the Guillermo del Toro's and the Alfonso Crones and everything, but then you have, like, the Greta Gerwig's and the Ava DuVernay's and stuff like that because, uh, I don't know, I, I, I want more female filmmakers to be recognized. Um, and to your earlier point, I also think we need stunt people to be recognized as well. Um in general, because as much as we all enjoy uh, Tom Cruise jumping through helicopters or flying, Oscar, down, by the way. yes, he'll win as best stunt person. But I don't. But he's he probably needs to be a part of the union. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But that basically to answer your question, I think more women filmmakers need to be acknowledged. So maybe a way to solve that is best female directors. Yeah. No, that's, that's very very interesting. Um, I was just. I, I want to build an answer too, but I, I, yeah, Bill, you can answer. I just had, I had a thought, but I will get back to it. So it's, it's very interesting. I, I like that concept a lot. Um, because, but so my, my, because I'm, I've been kicking this around. I'm like, okay, so if you have all these directors, like all these films that could be nominated for mm-hmm. best picture, why can't we have a sliding scale or a, or a larger number for best director where you, where it can be more inclusive? Um, and, but then the, then I think about this and, and I'm not saying don't do it because uh, it'll mess everything else up. It's like, so right. do you have a sliding scale for best actor, best actress, right. best supporting actress? So now we have 10 films, we have 10 directors. Well, now we're cutting off actors and actresses. So it's, it's very interesting. Like, um, I wouldn't mind a sliding scale of like, like how we did with best picture of like, Hey, maybe we have eight best supporting actresses, um, in 2021. Because there were eight great best sporting actresses, right? That's I, I, I don't have a problem with that, um, but I, I don't know if you're ever going to make because with award shows, like there has to be something done. And this is a shitty cop out answer, and I, I, I just because I don't have a better answer is you're never going to make everyone happy because someone's always going to get left off, right? Um, so you know, I definitely yeah, some people definitely, but I don't mind best male, best female director uh, or give us 10 director nominations. Like, cause, right. and, and, and like, there has to be more to be done. I mean, cause it's just, and I think we also, 
I think the screenings might help, and I'll tell you why. Because one thing I've read about voters is that like a lot of them don't have time to yes. watch all the films within a two-month span, so they just mm-hmm. go with what they know. So it's like, oh, I know Tom Hanks, even though he has a once a Forrest Gump, but it's just like, oh, I know Tom Hanks. I'll vote for Tom Hanks. I didn't see the movie. Fuck it. I'll just say, oh, that's a that's a foreign language film. Fuck it. I'm not going to vote for that. You know what I mean? So that's right. so I think maybe that will help the nomination process. I, I, I it gives more time, but I, I do like that best male, best female director because like like there's some people who I who are left off, and I'm just like, how is this? How is this possible? But yeah. Uh, but then, then everyone complains about the length of the show. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and not and not to make the length of the show more, but like I kind of like the aspect of the Golden Globes where they don't just say like this is the best picture, this is the best drama, and this is the best whatever comedy, musical, whatever. Because like, if you come out with the best comedy of the year, you're not winning. Best picture. Like, I remember Booksmart being uh, snubbed, right? Yeah. And like Booksmart was so fucking good for so many reasons. And talk, talk about inclusivity. Um, that's never going to get a best picture. Not more. It's never going to beat Parasite. Like but why even have attempt to? And you start. You get if still you, no. No, but it's wait, wait. Wait. I'm just. This is my theory. Is go. if you have ten, and it's not ever going to Booksmart. We can't. You know that's done. We can't do anything for them. Even though that's a phenomenal movie. Is you have 10, you start bringing in younger voting members, a more diverse voting member body, you might start seeing this happen. It's not a guarantee at all. But if you have people from different walks of life in every respect of that general phrase coming in to vote instead of just like, I can't vote for a comedy. I can't nominate a comedy. I can't nominate the stodginess of the Academy. of I can't Mm -hmm. vote for a comedy. I can't vote for... Uh, a superhero movie. I can't vote for a sci-fi movie. A genre picture. I can't do that. Well, if you ha- there's a lot of very open-minded people, and who aren't voting, so or not doing the nomination process. If that changes, maybe that'll happen. It's a big maybe, though. It's a big maybe. Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree. And uh, the thing that I want to say before was because we mentioned stunt performers, um, Daniel Radcliffe of all people, who has been uh, crushing it lately. He is coming out with a brand new podcast with his longtime stunt double from the Harry Potter franchise. Um, and they're basically raising awareness of not only like like stunt performers, but like all the work they're doing and stuff. So I have to pull up the name, um, but I will let Bill talk. And yeah, because I have a really fun Daniel Radcliffe story that I promised Colin Cat. I don't know how good this yes! one is. I don't you know have to how, tell us. I don't know how good it's going to come off since I have did a bunch. So this is like, okay, so I didn't live in my house yet. So this is probably 2011. So my best friend, Victor, uh, who works in, he works in animation. Uh, he works on the show Hilda and uh, Monkey with the oh. tool, tool Bell. Uh, so they, um, so he and I went out one night, um, had one too many drinks where we ran into uh, Eric from Tim and Eric. And my friend called him Tim twice, and he told us to fuck off, and then I told him to fuck off. Um, and I dog-shamed him for yelling at a fan who was drunk, who obviously watches all his shitty sh- content. Um, sorry, Tim <laughs> Eric. Hey, I, we interviewed him like three years later. It's fine. Um, so, anyway, uh, we're like, we're like, 
bombed in like little Italy. And my friend looks at me, he's like, Hey, do you want to meet Harry Potter? And I said, yes. So we got in a cab and went from little Italy to times square ish, Broadway times square area. I'm drunk. I don't know where the fuck I am. I told that he was about to kill you. <laughs> Do you want to meet Harry Potter? I'm like, yes. So we go to this. So he was in a Broadway show called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Yes. So it's us hanging out by the actor's door. My friend is completely bombed and is just behind me, leaning his head on my ba- my back. John Larroquette shows up. And oh I yell God. at him and I'm like, John Larroquette. I love the John Larroquette show on NBC. And he looks at me square in the eye and says, bullshit no you didn't he said prove it to me and i said i'll prove it to you right now he's like you're drunk and i said i'll still prove it to you and i said i hated in the second season that they cleaned him up because john larrick had had a show on nbc where he was like a recovering alcoholic who was running a bus station and so in the second season thank you someone else who knows this show thank you cat um so i'm like oh i hated the fact they cleaned him up they put him in a nice apartment they changed like the love interest he's like holy shit you actually did watch the show he's like i'll sign an autograph for you right now I don't know where that autograph is, but he was super cool. So Daniel Radcliffe, who I is like the human version of Polly Pocket. He is a he is a tiny little tyke. He, he comes is. walking out. He wrote the Harry Potter books when he was like a kid. Yeah, then, yeah, he wrote them. That's incredible. Not written by J.K. Rowling. Uh, Who's that? That, that yeah. human. That he human put. is. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, so, author and actor. Um, Dan Radcliffe comes out. So when we got there at the beginning, there was 10 people there. There is now legit 200 young yes. teenage to 20-something-year-old girls there. Just like just frothing at the mouth. My best friend picks up his head. He says, I want you to tell me when Daniel Radcliffe is right in front of you. And I said, okay. So he was in front, in front of us. He's like, hello. And he goes <laughs> in his like full-throated 80s metal war cry. He's like, Daniel Radcliffe! And he holds the cliff for like 20 seconds. He looks me dead in the eyes and goes, okay. And then I, being a douche, look at him and I point at him and I said, you never forget this day for the rest of your fucking life, Radcliffe. And he's just like, and he goes, goodbye, everybody! Jumps in an SUV and peels out. And all of a sudden, it just like I like just felt like this. The mood changed, and every woman there slowly turns, and every teenage girl's father turns right towards me, and they start slowly approaching us. The guardrails have been removed, so my friend and I are like, "Oh shit!" So we jump in the first door. That first door was a strip club, and we're like. Oh no, we got to get out of here. We see the crowd behind us and they're just like, you're in 20 buck cover. And we're like, fuck. So two drink minimum. So we had to sit there like, waiting out angry fathers trying to kick our ass. But yeah, that's my Daniel Radcliffe story. So Daniel, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, first off, your books are great. Um, such a prodigy. Um, and, um, I'm sorry. And, um, one day, come on the podcast. We'll talk. We'll talk stunt people. It'll be great. The best twist to the end of that story would be like, and then we ran into the strip club and sat there. And ten minutes later, Daniel Radcliffe came out no. and did a striptease. <laughs> well, 
Yes, yeah. but that car moved so fast after I said that. There was no way he was not in Brooklyn by the time we were in that door. Dan Rad, we love you. We support you. We stand a short king. And tiniest, I deeply believe... The, he is the tiniest king. He's 5'6", and that's perfectly fine. Whoa, that's... Uh, I've met some 5'6 people. Is that shorter than me? Yes. Do I care? No. I will I want tell Dan you this. Rad to know, based upon everything I've ever read about him, I genuinely, deep in my heart, believe that we would be friends. Okay. We like a lot of the same music. We like a lot of the same books. I think we would get along. Mm-hmm. And look like Harry Potter. We both enjoy Harry Potter. I don't know if Daniel Radcliffe enjoys Harry Potter right now. He <laughs> does. He... He does. He's supportive. By the way, that 5'6", that is a lie. <laughs> he, I've met some 5'6 people in my time. He ain't 5'6". So he might be 5'5". Five five. So is... He might be 5'. He, I'm telling you, man. He is... I am 5'10". I towered over him. And I don't tower over a ton of people. Tom York of Radiohead is also very short, and he's he's five five, and he's the fucking lead singer of Radiohead, and he wrote OK Computer and In Rainbows and a lot of other great things, and he's fine, so we'll allow it. So that's my Daniel Radcliffe story. So it, it well. kind of like a scary reverse of Help, where you're being chased by teenage girls <laughs> yeah, on a murder. It definitely was. It definitely was. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a surreal moment, and I'm glad you guys. That story is now on a podcast. My best friends could be like, "Why the fuck did you tell that story?" <laughs> and back to Al. Yes. With, what is the name of the the podcast with Dan Rad and his stuntman? Uh, the stuntman is David Holmes, and the podcast is called Cunning Stunts. Whoa. Yeah, so uh, that was seriously what the fuck. We're moving on to our next segment, which is a slice of fried gold. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Yeah, boy. And this week's slice of fried gold, uh, I basically the only reason we brought Kat back onto the podcast, um, because we were just going to do this with Cole. Um, Oh, I did not. The, I, that's not the main reason that is Al going rogue right now. He's rogue one. The main reason we wanted to bring you back on was to talk about um, your lord and savior, David Fincher, uh, because we are finally we be different see... from her son, Christopher Nolan. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, uh, David Fincher's Mank, his next film and his first film since 2014, which is very depressing, uh, will be hitting Netflix in October. Uh, basically, skipping a for the most part, probably a theatrical release. Uh, right now, theatrical releases are um, almost non-existent unless Except you have a drive-in theater. Tenant, which will got pushed back two weeks. Yeah, um, but yeah, this this movie was never going to make a, a, a ton of money in uh, in the theaters because of the, the basically the subject matter is like basically for the people uh, only made for the people that are on this podcast right now. Um, it is about uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, uh, who's played by fucking Gary Oldman, which is awesome. Um, he wrote the script uh, for Orson Welles' uh, Citizen Kane, 
and basically kind of was like tossed aside while uh, while Orson tried to take credit for it and even try to uh, bribe Mankiewicz with money um, to to basically take his name off the script. Um, he's also a, like a famous script doctor uh, of that time period and just a, like an interesting dude overall. Um, it's got a pretty stellar cast outside of Gary Oldman. We have uh, Tom Burke as uh, Orson Welles, Amanda Seyfried as Marion Davies. Uh, Lily Collins is in this as well, who I love. Um, and, of course, it brings back Trent Ratner and Atticus Ross to do the Trent score. Trent Reznor, not Trent Ratner. Trent Reznor. He's not Brett Oh, Ratner. shit. You got that in my head now. I blame, uh, <laughs> I blame, Cole. I blame Cole for that. It's my fault. Uh, but yeah, Trent Reznor, Atticus Frost are doing the score as well. So uh, this is definitely a slice of fried gold that we're going to get to see some Fincher this year. Cat, um, yeah. are you excited about this film? Um, is it, Do you think this is what Fincher should be putting his attention towards post-Gone Girl? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I remember when this was first announced, I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. Um I mean, I have loved pretty much everything David Fincher has done. And uh, specifically, um, the more I read about this movie, the more interested I am by it. Um, The cinematographer who he uh, worked with on Mindhunter, which is really kind of like the last time we've seen Fincher do something, which is a great show, which may or may not ever come back. Don't don't even talk about that. I know. I'm sorry. Very, very upset. Um, I think it's going to come back. It's too it's too big for Netflix. They're going to throw money at that. I know, but if it does come back, it might not come back with David Fincher. It might. I don't know. I don't know. Well, he's clearly getting in the Netflix business. That's true. That's true. But uh, one of the things that made me most interested in this movie, uh, the more I've read about it, is that the cinematographer he worked with on Mindhunter had said that this is totally like a noir, like 1930s film. It's entirely filmed in black and white. Which oh, is, really? Yes. Whoa. Which is really cool. Yes, and, um, and he said in an interview, he's like, it's like a total 1930s black and white movie. Like it will be enjoyed by six people, but it's incredible. Oh, man. And I was like, Yes, and four of them are on this podcast. The fifth one is David Fincher, and the sixth one is, like, someone in Indiana. Yeah. Um, it's very exciting. Kind of sounds like he's doing a rip on Chinatown. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, the cast is definitely interesting. I'm all about it. I feel like this could be, um, like, Fincher has made some really big, big movies in the past. Um, we've talked about it before. I think his most, like, mainstream movie is probably uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, I would have said Panic Room. I would have said Fight Club. No. Well, mainstream? That's, well, that's, I mean, in retrospect. In I, retrospect, yeah. yeah I, can, I can see that. Like, Panic Room's a bit more obscure than Fight Club by now. Yeah, definitely. But when I say mainstream, I Talk mean about like, at the time. my mom has seen it. My mom has yeah. definitely seen Benjamin Button. Yes. My mom yes. has not seen Club. That's fair. I would love it. I would love to sit there and watch it with your mom. Yeah, it, it would be a... I, I keep telling you, I think if we showed Martha Fast Five, mm-hmm. she would love it. God. She'd just be like, this is too violent, honey. I can't. Has she seen Point uh, Break? That's what we gotta, we gotta start her there. Break her in <laughs> with Keanu and Bodie. That's what we gotta do. 
Yeah. Um, but but anyway, the point I was trying to make is I think that he's done a lot of like big kind of like blockbustery movies. And I feel like maybe he's like, you know what, that's not really my style right now, or that's not really what I want to do. And he probably wants to take a step back and just make like weird shit that's going on Netflix. And honestly, I'm all about it. Well, he's been trying to, one of the reasons he hasn't been working for a long time, other than Netflix stuff, is he was trying for years to direct like a big movie for Disney. It was going to be, I think it was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh my God, I would love that. I love that movie. And if yeah. he did one, like I would rip all my hair out of my head. Like I feel yeah. excitement. Like I, I yeah. grew up watching that on the old like Disney Channel in the eighties. It was yeah. always on. Yeah. I've wanted that to be made into a major movie, and it, Fincher was behind it. Oh, it was so good. He, he tried to do it for years, but I think he just found it was like too difficult to make the movie he wanted to make. Uh, I think that's what's happening with a lot of filmmakers. I, I, I mean, that's why like Scorsese's going yeah. to Netflix and and Spike Lee. Spike Lee has a Netflix movie out yesterday. It's 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 insane, yeah. and it's getting ridiculous De- reviews. Yes, yeah. in, in a good way, I should say. Yes. yes. Uh, what's crazy about this uh, the subject of Ms. Mankiewicz is I confused him with his very famous brother, Joseph Mankiewicz. He was a director right. who won for uh, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. He's acclaimed director. This guy is a uncredited producer on uh, Duck Soup and Day at the Races, so Marx Brothers classics. Was an uncredited writer on The Wizard of Oz, um, Citizen Kane, Pride of the Yankees, which I've seen four million times. Yeah, um, yeah. There are so many, like The Pride of St. Louis, like there are so many movies he's done. That like um, that people have like heard of these classic films and probably didn't know this guy existed, and it's cool to see Fincher do a character study film because like he does great work with characters, but like it's never like here's a character study. It's always like in some grandiose like even Benjamin Button was about a character, but it was wrapped up in this uh, you know fantastical story, but, like yeah. that of which is uh, so improbable. But this mm-hmm. is just like. Here's this black and white drama about this very real figure in Hollywood, and um, God, I'm I'm amped. No, I'm more amped about Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I just am. But it's just I, like it, I'm I'm I stoked t- for this, and this will I be totally Gary Oldman. Uh, lay, I think layup for Gary Oldman getting the best actor nomination again. Oh yeah, and Fincher. I think this is gonna. If this is as good as um, advertised, this is the the Finch is gonna be. Uh, Rolling in nominations this year. It's an it's this is like Oscar porn, like Oscar bait to the fullest extent. You have absolutely. You have uh, it's about black Hollywood. and white. It's about Hollywood. It's yeah. black and white. It stars Eric uh, Gary Oldman. Like that's it. Like you're you're yeah, that's like bingo right there. I hope that Mank is more like Good Night and Good Luck and less like Trumbo or something. You know, yeah, like all Good Night and Good Luck. Ooh. Wouldn't it be cool? I, I don't Love think he would do this because he has his own style. But like, wouldn't it be cool if he kind of did it in the style of Citizen Kane? I would not be shocked if that happened. Like, yeah, wouldn't that be cool? That might happen. I would love that because that um, would be on brand for him. That would. Um, I totally agree. Like, I love when when he when he does things like this. Like, the reasons I love like auteur directors is like they. They're not looking to do like 
sequels or try to jump onto a big property. Like I remember a couple of years ago, like he was going to do the the World War Z sequel. Yeah, which should never. You know, like I'm was like so, so depressing to hear. Like that. Like, don't waste your time, dude. Like, keep doing cool shit like this. Even if like it's a bust, it's still like a better. Like, I it's can't better that it's this in the movie world. cost that much to make. Oh, oh my god, yeah. But it's yeah. A, it, it, it's this is going to be this is, is going to be good. I, I have I have very strong feelings that this will be a a very good film. I I really hope so. And also to relate it back to our earlier conversation, a part of me deeply feels like that the Academy themselves are not going to be able to fix the problems in Hollywood. And really, the people who we should be pointing our fingers to are studios. So I think that this is the opportunity for people like Netflix and uh, Amazon Studios and stuff like this to use the opportunity to hire diverse creators, hire women, hire black directors, hire Asian directors. Like there's let them craft the stories. And if you know what, if it turns into a thing where you're having like great film, uh, famous filmmakers like Scorsese and Fincher and they all just go to Netflix, fine. Then the more traditional studios should be the ones to hire more di- more diverse filmmakers. Because when you have diverse filmmakers, then you're going to have the diverse crews. You're going to have all this. Like, it, Ava, Ava DuVernay has said that all of her crews are women. She's like, I just like an all-female set. And it totally changes, like, how the movie is made and all the stuff that's going on. But anyway. Oh, you should I'm, watch if you haven't seen when they see us, her series she did last year on uh, Netflix about the Central Park Five. Uh, we talked about this on the maybe to be released episode twelve. <laughs> um, that was my pick. It, it's absolutely um, like it's an amazing four to five episode um, series. Everything is like a movie. Every episode's like a movie. It's heartbreaking. It's so uh, like palpable for right now. And I think yeah. if you go to Netflix, it, it pops up immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So if you love her work, Cat uh, and, and World, when they see us, um, it will break you in half with how heartbreaking it is, but it also reminds you, work's got to be done. Yes. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, well, uh, let's move on to our, our two recommendation categories. Let's start with uh, uh, Bill. There's, a, there's some sort Music of theme song. in a time of quarantine. Yeah! Try to cha- uh, channel, unfortunately. Uh, I, I try to channel a, a certain actor who sings in our uh, Glimmer of Hope segment for that one. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that was the theme song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you sir uh, are a dick. Bill, uh, Bill, start us off with your uh, music pick for this week. Ah, yes. Um, I'm just going to get the exact wordage here. So I, I have talked about this artist previously. Uh, I think on one of our early podcasts, I talked about her um, music video, and I believe, Kat, you've interviewed her, uh, and I'm talking about Nicole Atkins. She she is amazing, and she just released her new album, Italian Ice, which is now on Spotify. Uh, Nicole uh, started out uh, probably 20-plus years ago playing the bars of the Jersey Shore. She's a Jersey Shore native. Um Worked her way up to a, I want to say, Columbia Records deal. Had one major album. 
parted ways with her record label and has kind of evolved herself into becoming a mainstay in the the folk world, the jam world, the blues world. Um, and what she's done with this is kind of brought the Muscle Shoals uh, sound and mixed it in kind of with a Stevie Nicks type vibe. Uh, to create her latest work. Um, I have not listened to Nicole Atkins' record I haven't loved. Um, I haven't gotten all the way through this yet uh, due to work and whatnot, but I've listened to plenty of songs off of it. Um, Nicole is often uh, compared to a female Roy Orbison with the way she sings, and I definitely get that vibe. It's super cool. Um, yeah, she's just great. And she's the reason we, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, she's the reason we started in Asbury Park. First show we ever kind of covered was Nicole playing uh nicole like i know her um is um uh the stone pony uh the famous uh, venue in asbury park new jersey on thanksgiving eve opening band was a band called river city extension um and that's how the manager of that band helped me introduce me to a lot of the bands and that's how we planted our flag in asbury and so nicole atkins is a very big part of the site uh again if you love folk if you love jam if you love alt country blues uh synth like kind of noir pop like She's she hits a lot, but she checks a lot of boxes. She's great. Check her out. Italian Ice currently streaming on Spotify. Her whole catalog is on Spotify too. So it's a very and it's a very interesting musical evolution. Her whole catalog. So definitely start with that one, and then go through the whole thing, man. You you will not be disappointed. Yeah, Nicole Atkins is so so cool. I loved being able to interview her, and what I really love about her is despite the fact that she is like. New Jersey, like homegrown, like through thick and thin. Yeah. She a couple of years ago, like, um, uh, kind of like moved to Nashville yeah. and so has gotten really deep into the blues. And also, we had a personal connection because she grew up listening to the Beach Boys in her house. Yeah. And you totally hear their harmonies and their, and like the, their melodic structure is totally. Uh, pervasive in all of her music and definitely a good recommendation thanks uh let's kick it to cat what do you got for us um i'm gonna have a truly absurd recommendation this week um but i have to be honest about what has been helping me get through things um there is a spotify playlist called the mad men soundtrack yes and an amazing individual. Uh, there's just over, there's about 8,000 people who follow this. This was created um, about two years ago. It's over seven hours of music where the person has compiled every song that has played in every single episode of Mad Men and put it in this playlist in chronological order. Wow. Jeez. Genius. It's amazing to just like put on and listen to. I'll listen to it in order. And it just says so much, one, about the music that's chosen, but two, about how incredible Mad Men is, that I'll be sitting there working and I'll hear the music and I will remember the scene where it played. I will remember the emotions that are in place. And so suddenly I'm, you know, writing some like BS Facebook post for whatever. And I suddenly feel like Don Draper because I'm sitting there trying to come up with a tagline and I'm just like, this is incredible. So... It's like a seven-hour playlist. Honestly, I think it's a great, solid playlist, even if you've never seen the show. Yeah. Because the music is so good. 
and a great thing about Mad Men is that um, a lot of the music goes with the era. So if you're watching an episode that's in 1963, the music that plays in the episode is from 1963 or before. So uh, if you're listening to it chronologically, um, things are very like, you know, early 60s, basically the, the 50s, everything's chill, everything's fine. And then as more things go on, there's more dissonance in the show and there's more dissonance in the world going on and things get crazier and there's protest music and it just feels like so indicative of what's happening right now. So Don Draper listens to White Revolver and it, like, <laughs> it just sort of annoys him, I think. Yeah, he's just like, I don't get it. It's <laughs> is, uh, Two questions. One, yeah. is, there, is there like score from Mad Men or is it just actual songs? It is both. Ooh, it is both. Um, so the very, very first song on the playlist is uh, A Beautiful Mind by um, uh, RJD2, a.k.a. the theme song of Mad Men. Um, because it I turns didn't know out, RJD2 did the song. I didn't know that either. Holy yeah. shit, I like RJD2. That's I crazy. saw them at GovBall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they... Yes, they they did the the theme, and it's so crazy because that theme that we hear is actually like a five minute song, guys. Like, there's more to it. I have to listen uh, to that. Guys, it's really awesome. It's this, really really good. This makes sense because I saw them play that song at Gumball and did not make that connection. <laughs> You're just I'm like, like, oh, they're Men fans. I was like, oh, they're remixing uh, Mad Men. <laughs> also, is uh, Zuby Zuby Zoo on that song? Oh fuck. Uh, <laughs> that was cool just saying oh fuck hang on let me I'm pretty sure it is yeah. um, there's I don't one know. song they could have uh, left off but also not left off it would have been bad I don't they don't have like Megan's version but <laughs> I believe they have it god oh I remember seeing that watching that as it happened and I was just I'm like what the fuck it is on here zooby zooby zoo <laughs> By Jillian Hill's Twist in the Rock Volume 9 is on here. It's it's just so great. Oh. <laughs> I think that's actually the actress singing. Mm, Sounds okay. like her. Yeah, so, I think it is her singing. The original. The original's on there. Mm. Um, it's so good. Everyone, just, just put it on. It's very emotional. You'll love it. That's my recommendation. Cole, what is your pick this week? Well... Uh, I guess it's not one particular song or album. Are we allowed to to promote a YouTube thing? I don't know if that's like well, what's political. Yeah. It's uh, we were watching Lindsay Ellis's video last yeah, night yeah. about no, protest music in the Bush era. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting because I, I was just hearing a lot of songs I hadn't heard since middle school and grade oh, school. Shut up. You were in middle school in Bush. Oh, Christ almighty. I was graduated college. Uh, when was Bush nominated? 2000? 2000 to 2008. Yeah. I mean, I was nine when he was elected. Yeah. <laughs> Bill is going to combust on camera. Oh, yes. my God. I'm almost 30 years older than you. Fuck. You're fine. You're Amazing. Fine. Um, uh, Lindsay Ellis is a great video essayist and yeah, she talked about like protest music in the era of Bush and basically you realize that like truly the best protest song and perhaps the only protest song is fucking Green Day's American Idiots. <laughs> we, we, Al and I talked about this on the maybe to be released episode 12. Um, 
how Run the Jewels Four, we're like, oh, yeah. this is protest music. I said, dude, when we have we had protest music during Bush, we had protest festivals and concerts. Like there was other shit yeah. like uh, No Effects did stuff. Right? A lot of punk stuff came out during that time. Eminem. Uh, a lot, a lot of like Eminem stuff, um, like with- Incubus, Megalomaniac was like, yeah, a, such a genius. I put that in quotes. Uh, co- uh, uh, you know, condemnation of Bush. It's like holy shit, guys! I see the hammer coming in to nail the point in on this song. Yeah, yes. Uh, had heard BYOB in like fifteen years. Oh yeah, that System was, of a Down. That was a trip. Oh, I loved that, your that's spirit. very timely since uh, the drummer doesn't <laughs> seem to really. I, oh, I love the story you told me of your brother who loved that song explaining to your mom why they're saying angels should die. Yeah, angels deserve to die. She's like, this sounds so violent. And then my brother was like, no, mom, you gotta listen to the words. They're saying, I will cry when angels deserve to die. <laughs> oh, man. God, mom. God, you listen. God, Reminds me of like, surge, man. Reminds me of the most apocalyptic night of my uh, when I was like eleven or twelve, and I brought home a Bloodhound Gang CD. Oh my god! Bloodhound <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, they read the lyrics in front of me about about like fucking and whatever. What was that song? Uh, with, uh, Bad touch. Fox, uh, yeah. yeah. Foxtrot, yeah. Unicorn. Charlie. Charlie Kilo. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that came out and I was just like, oh, this isn't clever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At no point has anyone been like blood hugging uh, associated with uh, cleverness and politics. No, no. But, the, you know, that's some funny games. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Who, doesn't, who didn't love Bad Touch when you guys were all in diapers and I was in high school? <laughs> no. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, then we started listening to Evanescence, and it's like, they have a new album coming out this year. Did you guys know that? We've shot I think recently, did. actually. <laughs> and I, I actually I did know that. The Amy Lee boys were coming back. Yeah, yeah. What a time. So, yeah, those are our recommendations for music. <laughs> what Al? about you, Al? My, my pick Al, for Al, this week. Al's video is completely died. Oh, no, I did that on purpose because my connection wasn't that great. Okay. So uh, my pick for this week, uh, because the beaches have been opening uh, back up and um, I've been uh, visiting my family in uh, South Jersey, um, my go-to beach album or uh, going to the beach album is uh, the the White Album from Weezer. Yes! I absolutely adore this album from start to finish. I think it's it's definitely... (laughs) And Kat will, I don't know how she will react to this, but we've talked about this. Um, New Weezer is is strange and tough and sometimes barely listenable. Um, they can come out with an, an amazing album, like um, Everything Will Be Alright in the End, um, and follow it up with an even better album, in my opinion, The White Album. And then they will uh, do Pacific Daydream and just go right back to being shit. So... Um, but the White Album is it, it's it's almost like a concept album if they can make one of them at this point. It's very California, just rock, and um, it it's so consistently good, and it puts me in this mentality of like um, I need to get to the beach and forget about 
all my problems. Um, and I love also how the album, and the reason I call it a concept album is because it, it, it really kind of tells a story of like one summer, I think. And it starts off with California kids, kind of like the, the summer's in front of them. They, they can take on the world. You, you have a song, literally King of the World. Um, and then it goes through, and by the end, you have uh, Endless Bummer, and they're like, he's just sad and disappointed and he wants the summer to end and like it's just kind of this whole story throughout i love this album it's fantastic please listen to it it's a self-titled weezer album but it's known as the white album yes. and that's my pick I, I totally agree with you al it's i think a lot of people think of like modern weezer and they're like oh they're trash now not true not true 2014's everything will be all right in the end is incredible it's up there Honestly, with the Blue Album, with Pinkerton, it, mm-hmm. it really is so good. And the White Album, for all the reasons you said, are so excellent. It's like, it's one of those records that as a California person, I listen to it and I'm like, I could visualize where in Santa Monica I am listening to it. Like the roads that I would be on, you really feel like Rivers, California, this. It's the second Santa Monica reference in this podcast. Yeah. Well, I also, um, the cover of the album also is at Pier 17. I can't remember. Is that where um, they shot the Lost Boys? Yes, where they shot the Lost Boys. It's it our, um, or is it 39? I can't remember. Anyway, it's a very specific um, uh, place in Santa Monica, which is where Rivers Cuomo has lived for the last like 20 years or so. Um, and a lot of Weezer fans will go and take pictures there, and it's charming and wonderful, and I support Al's recommendation. Um, I just one little uh, thing I want to add to that, because Kat is so eloquent about that. The um, One of the most underrated songs in the album is uh, Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory. I think that song's great. Um, the reason I bring it up is it's on, um, it's the subject of an episode of Song Exploder, and you get to... Uh, Weezer, uh, I'm sorry, Rivers Cuomo basically um, explains how he writes a Weezer song, and it's so ridiculously insane of his songwriting process. He basically just jots down little notes of like things, and the, like uh, a spoiler alert: he two different conversations amongst friends said like, "Oh, that's like my wife when she's not with uh, like teaching becomes summer." Uh, 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 was it um, Summer Elaine? And then another conversation was the same way. Oh, when she has too many drinks, she becomes drunk. Dory and like that became a song. Like his 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 songwriting process is so strange. So definitely listen to if you've never if you don't subscribe to Song Exploder, do that first, and then go back and try to find the episode with uh, Rivers about that song because it's very interesting. It's the same guy who uh, co-hosts the West Wing podcast. He's got a really crazy name. I can't remember it off the top of my head um but it's cold rothacker no um (laughs) i'll butcher it anyway but yeah just look up song exploder on uh on whatever podcasting app you're listening to this uh but yeah that's this uh music in a time of quarantine we're gonna go into the uh the watch list now um what it's uh, i was gonna go with my pick first because um i'm trying to remember what I, i i was I like re-binging a lot of stuff. Like I re—I just finished watching Community. I think Cole even mentioned, and I could be wrong on this, but Cole may have mentioned what we do in the shadows last time around. Mm-hmm. I just finished the new season of that. God, the show is amazing. Um, 
just watched the last episode last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just finished the other night. Um, <laughs> best episode though was uh, was the one with uh, Mark Hamill. Yeah. What, yeah. What? Jackie Daytona. Yeah. Jackie Daytona was like that. He deserves a, uh, an Emmy nom just for that episode alone. It's true. I like the. Uh, I like when they went to the house with the seventies vampires. <laughs> it was like they were like some weird, like gigantic family that have been all lived there together. Yeah. And then Guillermo killed them all. It was like really scary. It, it was. It was and very it was, scary. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like Van Helsing. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think of what, what can I say differently besides what we do in the shadows and like stuff that we've talked about over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, what have I watched that I like really loved? Oh, I just finished Shit's Creek. Finally finished uh, the the sixth and final season of Shit's Creek. Um, we've probably talked about it on this pod before, but it's such a great show. It was a show that um, didn't look good. Like we, I've had this a bunch like over the past. Like a show that didn't look good, like just by like the commercials. It was a, it was definitely a word of mouth show. It got to. Um, it got to me and my wife from like a friend who said like, Oh, you have to watch it. It's great. We tried it for the first episode, kind of got hooked within like three episodes, which is kind of rare for a comedy. Um, Dan Le- Dan Levy is an absolute genius and I can't recommend this show. You don't really need to know a lot about it. The way I pitch it to people is, um, what if the Kardashians lost all their money and had to go live in the middle of nowhere? Yes. And that's basically the premise of the show. Um, so simple comic geniuses like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare, um, who like the, everyone is like top form and it, it stays consistently funny throughout all six seasons. So highly recommend Shit's Creek. Um, let's go to Bill. Oh man. So, you know, like, I, I've been off my TV routine mostly because, you know, work, Following the news, and um, I have a small child who you've heard on this episode who kind of dominates the TV viewing. So that's actually a recommendation I'm going to make. So when you're a parent and you have to be subjected to a lot of kids' shows, you have you want to find those shows that you are not going to want to jump out a window watching. The one I'm going to recommend to parents is an Australian show that is uh, currently on Disney Plus called Bluey, and it's about a family of, uh, they're called Blue Healers, there's like Australian like cattle dogs, and it's uh, mom and dad, Bluey and her sister Bingo, and it's just this really delightful family-like cartoon that is also very realistic and surprisingly realistic. Uh, it's actually the one of the biggest shows in Australia right now, and it's making a huge dent in American... Um, cartoon audiences right if you look at it on tv it's on uh, disney junior um like the father is uh, and a lot of people point to the father character his name is um bandit and he's basically like every dad it's just like he's harried he's he's tired a lot of the times but he really loves his kids and he will put himself through a lot of physical pain to make them laugh but also try and teach them a lesson he makes mistakes like and that's what a lot of people have really um, commended the show for is like the parents and the moms the same way is like the parents are very realistic. They're not like the mother is perfect. 
the father is a bumbling fool, like I'm Peppa Pig. Or, like, there are these, like, voiceless characters, like, these, uh, you know, just voices coming from off screen, or they're just the mean parents, or they're stupid, or whatever. Like, these are, like, you could watch this as a parent and be like, wow, you really summated how I felt when my kid is, like, jumping on top of me saying, don't go to work. And, like, oh. the battle of that. It's, 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 a, they're very short episodes. It's very funny. There's, Humor adult, it's not adult humor, but it's humor adults could definitely um, enjoy. It's a very sweet show. The animation's really cool, and I think the second season should be hitting Disney Plus in the fall. I know the toys are hitting Target in the fall, so it's a cool show. Oh. <laughs> I want to watch. Oh, dude, Cole's gonna watch it, dude. I'm telling you, Cole, you and it also you can watch like it's on Disney Plus, so they they categorize they uh, put three episodes in like one episode. It's like twelve minutes. It's, like, super fun. Um, and it's, like, very heartfelt, and it's very sweet. And it's also, they have one where um, they have a cousin. Oh, shit. What's wrong? Oh, sorry. <laughs> my uh, my camera went out for a second. So can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. All right, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Oh, I can't see you. That's the, oh, here's this. Oh, sorry about that. That's what's called technical difficulties when I'm two hours of sleep. I clicked out of the call so anyway basically it's like um oh gosh okay so yeah they have this one cousin and my wife and i crack up at this like she's like a little younger and she's she's learning going from that taking a nap phase to just being up and she's like delirious and they make her like a drunk party girl where she just <laughs> runs around screaming shit like coconuts have water in them and she like steals a cop car which the girls have and stuff like that it's 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 super fun um there's a lot of random australian humor in there too that makes me kind of want to move to australia so it's super cool um, have accents? oh they're all adorable oh, everything oh it's so cool um yeah it's bluey's a, a hell of a show and it's starting to really make a mark in america um Last, uh, I, since I don't know if that episode's going to air and Al walked away, uh, I will give uh, another recommendation, uh, maybe a little more refined version of that pick. Um, the past week, it marked the two-year anniversary of Anthony Bourdain's passing. Um, Anthony, I was a huge Anthony Bourdain fan when I was at home with my daughter for like six months. Like, Travel Channel was on every morning watching like a six-hour block of Bourdain, and he would it would be all his shows like taking me to, you know the dive bars in New York to the dive bars in the Caribbean to the, he got into a lot of dive bars. Uh, but you know, you know, eating street food with Obama, um, just doing a lot of awesome stuff. He was this cultural anthropologist who, you know, used the universal language of food to talk about culture to and to, he, he did a lot of fun stuff and it was cool. And a lot of times it's like, Oh, I can see all these great fancy places, but he also talked about, culture and he talked about representation and he talked about injustice and he talked about a lot of things that are super important and op hopefully open your mind towards a lot of different uh, ways people think. And, you know, I, I would have loved it if I would love if he was around now because, you know, he was a huge uh, proponent, at least I, I, my perception of, of immigrants rights and uh, document worker workers rights. Cause I believe this too, the restaurant industry would not work without immigrants and undocumented workers. Um, yes. 
and uh, I would love for him to be in the conversation right now. And uh, also reminds people that you know mental health is a huge, huge issue. And a guy like him, you look at him, he's like, what an affable guy who gets to travel around the world. He's got the life, and unfortunately right. took his life two years ago. So it always it, it gave me that wake up call to like check on your friends and also check on yourself. So that's my pick. Uh, Colt, did you go yet or? No, um, I was actually thinking of other kid shows because you were talking about it. How, how old's your kid, Bill? She's five, and her palate is different. Like, my wife and I love, not her. She used to love it when she was one, was We Bear Bears, which oh, is yeah. so great if you've never seen that. It's basically like three bear, three hipster brother bears living in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, it's a wonderful show on Cartoon Network. Um, yeah. Patton Oswalt does a voice. Uh, Bobby Moynihan's voice. Yeah. Um, Dimitri Martin. Dimitri Martin. Yeah, Dimitri. Oh, that's right. He's Ice Bear. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's. Did you ever see the one episode of that where they do the Robot Fight Club and they make it like Drive, where everything's oh, like a neon I synth noir? I forgot. Oh, I, I watch that again. Oh my god, it's so. It gets super dark. Like okay. Super dark, gonna, and, and I, uh, my daughter will watch it. She's like, I don't get it. I'm just like, this is for dad. This ain't for yeah. you, man. <laughs> but obviously, we've uh, talked a shit ton about Ducktales on this podcast because Al and I both love it. Uh, what, yeah. what else you got? Uh, have you ever seen the Amazing World of Gumball? Oh my god, yeah that that is just batshit crazy. That 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 show you were talking about kind of sounded like Gumball, although I think Gumball skews a little like older, like maybe. This is Gumball goes a little wild, whereas this yeah. is more sweet. Right. This is more right. family oriented. Like this is still very much a kid show. But it's like my daughter will watch Gumball at times and be like, "Oh, that's funny." But like Gumball, definitely, you know, yeah. I always feel like that aims towards like that eight to eleven. Yeah. Range. Yeah. Uh, Big City Greens. She she enjoys that sometimes. Yeah. I got a few friends that work on that show. Yeah, I like that show uh, too. Uh, I mean. I'll put on Gravity Falls. She'll be like, this is scary, Dad. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, Gravity yeah. Falls is great. Um, when I used to babysit kids, I'd watch a lot of crap. Oh, man. Remember that Barbie cartoon we watched? Oh, my Bro. God. There was this Barbie cartoon. I <laughs> I, I put I my foot down and I was like, you know what? I don't think we're, this is not appropriate. I feel like they're just like making a joke the whole time that Ken is gay. They, it's like they, really weird. They 100% are. It's, it's a lot. The one show that I did like a lot and not just because there's a character named Katarina in it is I love Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So really, never got in, she has the figures but never got into the show. Like she really? likes uh, there was Ben and Holly's um, Little Kingdom. That was a, yeah. that's like a Peppa Pig adjacent type show. Right. I'm trying to think what else did we watch. Oh, there's like like Blue. Uh, no, that's Bluey. I'm thinking of uh, True in the Rainbow Kingdom. That's uh, on Netflix. Uh, yes. So that's that's one. And uh, she'll watch some where I'm just like. But she also watches a lot of some of the Disney YA movies like Zombies and Zombies 2. And if you're wondering... <laughs> Yes, I know all the words to all the songs, and yes, I kind of know all the dance moves to the more upbeat stuff. What a good dad. What a good dad. What about uh, Netflix's uh, Green Eggs and Ham? Did she like that? Uh, we didn't watch that. She lo- she loves The Grinch, that version of The Grinch, the newer version of The Grinch. Uh, Actually, she likes the old version, too. 
She oh, the Jim Carrey? No, no, no. She likes the original animated. Uh, and yeah. she likes the... Yeah, we were talking about... I, I bring up um, Green Eggs and Ham because Weezer did the theme song for it. <laughs> oh, shit. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. She liked the Benedict Cumberbatch-voiced Grinch. Yes. Yeah. We, and we watched an episode. I thought it was cute. Yeah, it was good. Michael Douglas is in it. Like, what? Okay. Yes. Um, is he the ham or the green eggs? <laughs> I'm the, Michael Douglas. I'm the fucking green eggs. He's the uh, he's the crabby inventor. He's the guy who the other guy is trying to convince to eat. Yeah, the, the guy green who won't. And he's makes. like, no, fuck off. Uh, he's like, or, yeah. I was an so, international sex symbol at one point. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just my bad impersonation of the bad impersonation from Family Guy. That's oh, perfect. It's perfect. Uh, um, I guess I'll go next. Yes. Um, uh, we watched this a couple of weeks ago, but I realized I've been thinking about it so quite a bit. It's a really good summer movie, really great coming-of-age story. Um, it's a movie called The Way, Way Back. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, dude, is that with Sam Rockwell? Yes, I yes. saw that in a independent Solid movie. I saw that yeah. in an independent theater in Alspach, independent theater uh, years ago. Yeah, that movie is that movie is so good. It is. It's so. It's um, by the same directors of uh, Little Miss Sunshine and uh, reunites uh, Tony Collette and Steve Carell. Steve Carell's in a very different part than you normally see him oh, in, yeah. and. Um, it was written by um, the dean from Community. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 he directed it, actually. Oh, really? I oh, think... it was produced by... Yeah. I, I misspoke. It was produced by the people who did Little Miss Sunshine. And yeah. it, it was written and directed was by, by Jim Rash and Nat uh, Faxon, who yeah. also yeah. Um, wrote The Descendants and won an Oscar for it. And um, they're both in it, right? Yeah, yes. in small little bit yeah, parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, for people who haven't seen it, it's a really great, just like coming of age story. Um, initially, when I was telling Cole about it, I was like, "Yeah, I feel like it's set in the '80s." No, it's set now, but yeah. it just feels yeah like an older story, not in a like corny nostalgic way, but it's just so timeless. It's about a young, very awkward kid. Um, a really great performance from that young actor. Um, his mother is Tony Collette and um, Steve Carell's is like stepdad. Well, they're not married. Yeah, though. but it's like uh, her mom's new boyfriend, and he's like a real jerk. He's, he's like a big sack of shit. Yeah, we oh, hate him. He is. And they go to um, like a seaside town. They they go to I think it's somewhere in Maryland or New Jersey. Not New Jersey. Yeah, you guys know if it was New Jersey. It's like it's like a seaside town, and long story short, this like very awkward kid is like doesn't know what to do with his time, and so he ends up um, working at uh, a local water park where he runs into Sam Rockwell, who is just so cool, and ends up being like a really great father figure for him. Um, it's that's a really great. Cape Cod, yes. I was thinking Martha's Vineyard, and I was like, no, that's way too bougie. Yeah. Um, in Cape Cod, really, really sweet movie. Um, I love Maya also, Rudolph and uh, Sam Rockwell together in that. I would yeah. love to see more of them interacting in other movies together, because I think they have such a great chemistry. Completely yeah. agree. Um, it's just 
Yeah, it was great. Really great uh, summer coming of age movie, and definitely recommend it. Called super, the Way. Super rewatchability factor on that too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Al, it is now your your time for your recommendation. Oh wait, you already gave one. Already no, did. I did. I did. I did. Uh, Shit's Creek. It's actually. Anything. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did I skip over you? No. Was, no, I, I, mean, no I, I knew you had to go. Cole has to go. Cole. I don't. What, did we talk about Harley Quinn the last episode time we were on? We did. Yes, we did. Okay. Well, that show's still going. It's still great. Yeah, please watch it. Yeah. It's so excellent. A lot of my coworkers work on it. Yes. It's, it's a good time. We showed it to my brother who had never seen it, um, just the first two episodes, and he's like, this might be my new favorite show. Yeah. Just from two episodes. Yeah. And the show gets, like, way better. It does. It does. Um, yes. What else? Oh, we've been watching CSI. We've been watching the original CSI. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Law & Order. That's the other thing. My wife has been on a Law & Order kick. SVU, Law & Order, and Criminal Intent. I prefer Criminal Intent. I like the D'Onofrio stuff. I think it's better. Yeah, sometimes you just need a... Uh, police procedural to be like, oh, I wish the police were like this in real life. Yeah. Well, they're like, they're like scientists. They're not yeah, like CSI. completely police. Yeah. They're just like doing like crime lab stuff and yeah. They're really hyper edited. Roger Daltrey just yeah. yelling, wow, in the background. <laughs> yes. I've been watching a lot yeah. of wrestling too. Shocked to nobody. Yeah. Yeah. We we started watching it because I watched Manhunter recently for the first time. Oh, William Peterson. Yeah. Yes, oh, and it's so good. Oh. Al, have you ever seen uh, Manhunter with William Peterson? It's basically yeah. like a precursor to um, Silence of the Lambs. And it's Michael Mann. Yeah, it's oh, the Michael Mann movie. Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter in it, which is so. I remember when I found out about this movie, and I was, I was so. Surprised because I kind of grown up knowing Anthony Hopkins is like yeah the, the Hannibal Lecter, but then like Brian Cox had played him beforehand, and then I learned more about the books and everything. And uh, Red Dragon's also one of the only uh, watchable Brett Ratner movies. Oh, yeah. Speaking of uh, Hannibal Lecter, a show everyone should watch if you've never seen it is the Hannibal Show. Not yeah, it's not called uh, it's just called Hannibal. Uh, Brian Fuller produced, uh, Hugh Dancy is in it, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen plays Hannibal Lecter. Um, I will get this on another podcast at some point. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. It is, I don't understand how it was on NBC. If that show had been on Netflix or HBO, every single person would be talking about it, but it was buried on NBC on like Thursdays, Friday, and Saturday nights at like 10 o'clock. Matt Taylor, me, Aaron Cernicki, and a few other people were obsessed with this show. Love this yeah. show. I, if you're in the mood for it, I, I highly recommend you guys check it out. Yeah, I wanted. To, I watched the first season when it was on, and then I never got to finish the rest of it. But oh, I, it goes but, to places. Yeah, yeah. I I heard it gets kind of up to the same material as in Red Dragon and Man. Oh, they 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 uh, the last season deals with the red with Red Dragon. Yeah. And then I heard before they got canceled, the fourth season was going to be like Silence of the Lambs. There is still this big rumor out there that um, Brian Fuller is trying to make a Hannibal, like a Silence of the Lambs type movie. They introduced some of the characters from Silence of the Lambs. Um, they inter- 
think kind of like allusions to Jodie Foster's character. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott Glenn's character is played by yeah, Lawrence uh, Fishburne, who's great. He's so yeah. good in it. He's got an amazing art. Jillian Anderson's in it. She's also amazing in it. Just, I love her. Oh, you would love her in this. She's yeah. so good. Eddie Izzard plays a serial killer in it. Also crazy, but also super awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's because he played Grandpa Munster in a Brian Fuller's Monsters reboot. Wait, there's going to be a... Is that a thing? That, that was like 10 years ago. I don't even remember that. Oh, it's called like 13 Mockingbird Lane. They didn't call it the Monsters. Oh, that's right. I remember it now, yes. That's yeah, right. I think Jerry O'Connell was Herman Munster. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's good casting. Yeah, Eddie Izzard was Grandpa Monster. That's great casting. The, the inspiration of the great song Dragula by Rob Zombie. Oh my oh. god. Yes. So, ow. Moving on. Uh, no, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, what was that? That was a tangent and a half. But uh, we want to end, uh, like we end almost every episode, with a glimmer of hope. Glimmer of hope! Oh boy, oh boy. This week's Glimmer of Hope, oh man, what a shitty week, but this is uh, one of the things that made me uh, actually laugh out loud. Um, They dropped the trailer for Eurovision Song Contest, colon, The Story of Fire Saga, which is the new Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams movie coming to Netflix June 26th. Um, It is about uh, aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid. Uh, who are from uh, Iceland, who are competing uh, in the Eurovision Song Contest, which is a very, very famous um, and real thing. competition show and real thing. Um, I we, we knew nothing about this. I, I remember a couple weeks ago they they released the like their music video. Yeah, we talked about the, it with Ben. Yeah, we did, and it looked really funny uh, just from that. But we had no idea what the actual concept of the uh, of the movie was going to be until uh, this trailer drop and man there's some pretty great stuff in this trailer um i don't want to take everything but i will say that uh i stand dan stevens for life so he good. is uh he's probably my one true love um the my guest. god the oh. guest come on that's all you need and uh he's great in uh, oh and legion is fucking phenomenal uh, um you from Downton Abbey? I don't know how you yeah, guys he was also, also in Downton Abbey. Uh, but yeah, what did you guys think? Uh, we get, we'll start with uh, Cole. Uh, I, I have this, this trailer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, uh, you're killing me, Cole. Uh, we'll start with Bill. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I I found a lot that I liked about the trailer. Dan Stevens was great. I think the line was just like, it's like you're touching me. Like it's little kittens with, with satin <laughs> boxing gloves slightly tapping me as I like, or something like that. I thought it was great. I think he was great because we've seen Dan Stevens in so many very serious, very heady roles. So for him to do something very silly, look great. I love Pierce Brosnan as Will Ferrell's very disapproving father because he and doesn't handsome. look that handsome. Oh yeah. And, and disapproving and handsome father, as he says, but he's also not that much older. It seems looks wise than Will Ferrell in this movie. So I'm like, did he have Will Ferrell when he was five? Um, quite possibly did. Um, I think this looks funny. Um, I sometimes get a little hesitant with Will Ferrell movies. I mean, I love, you know, Step Brothers. It will make me cry every time I see it. First Anchorman, oh. the, uh, the other guys. But so, this sort of gives me a 
Blades of Glory vibe to it. And I wasn't a huge fan of that movie. Um, it, like, this has the potential to be either wickedly funny or not good. And that's like kind of where Will Ferrell movies kind of fit. It, you're just like, there's some, it's a lot of Will Ferrell yelling and crashing into things. And I hope there's a balance there. I like Rachel McAdams in a comedy, so I'm like, okay, she'll be there to balance it out. But uh, some, some little, you know, cautious optimism on that. But Dan Stevens stuff was great, and uh, there are some really good Will Ferrell stuff. Will Ferrell will always, even if in a bad Will Ferrell movie, you will laugh at Will Ferrell because he always knows he he like life. He finds a way. Will Ferrell needs like an uncut gems. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, can you imagine Will Ferrell playing like a. Like a like a loan shark or something, like <laughs> really serious. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, I was just talking about that with people. I was like, uh, there was a movie he did. It was uh, it was still comedy, but it was more serious. Called Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Yes. And like, I thought he I was. Think that one was quirky. Yeah, but it, there were. It was definitely more serious. Yeah. Than others. And then yes. uh, people and my brother in law was talking about the one, um, Everything Must Go. That was more of a drama. Yeah. But that like people didn't really connect with that one. I, yeah. I agree with Al. I would love to see Will Ferrell's Uncut Gems. Although, I was also cool. talking about this. He Does anyone else remember that Lifetime movie he and Kristen Wiig did a few summers ago where it was 100% dead serious? I, I heard about it. I, I don't remember, but I watched the whole damn thing and reviewed it on the site, and I was like, I don't know what I just watched. and I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. <laughs> or it was supposed to be dead serious because if it was supposed to be taken dead seriously, it was god awful. But uh, if it was supposed to be funny, they did a brilliant job of it, and it was called a deadly adoption. Oh wow! Okay, we gotta watch this. Yeah, it's uh, a deadly adoption. Aired on Lifetime, legit. Um, she look like Ivanka Trump. <laughs> yeah, they basically set out to make a like they wanted to make a Lifetime movie. Yeah, like that's that's the concept. Like, like that, that was their idea. Right now during quarantine, if you you owe it to yourselves to watch this, just experience what this is. Is this a show or a movie? It was a movie. It's a movie. Oh, good. Wow. Wow. Lit, shot, score. I mean, like a lifetime movie. Here's the here's just the opening of the plot description. Kristen Wiig is a successful food vendor. Her husband Robert Will Ferrell is a best-selling author and finance guru. They're also the parents of a one-year-old daughter named Sully, and Sarah is pregnant with their second child. I'm in already. All right. I guess we're watching that. Sully? Come on. Yeah. There's no way that was serious. Um, See for yourself. (laughs) Basically, everything you said, Bill, about uh, this Eurovision film... Which I believe the full name is Eurovision Song Contest, colon, The Story of Fire Saga. Yes. Um, I definitely get uh, uh, Blades of Glory vibes, which overall I don't think is an incredible movie, but I do think it is a movie with very funny parts. The like, for sure. Yeah. Funny scenes. What was the one? It was like, it was Amy Poehler and Will Arnett, and it was the yeah. scene where they spill, it was like, they were Marilyn and JFK, and he, they spill the yeah. pills on the ice. Yes. And the it's great incredible. Nick, it was a Nick Swartzen line where he says, oh, I was stalking this one guy, but he was, he was in Russia, and it was cold, and everything smelled like soup. And I remember I was the only one in the theater that laughed at that line. I was just like, 
God, it smells like soup, guys. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I think, like, at worst, there will be at least some funny scenes. At best, this will be, like, the one thing that lifts people's spirits. Um, but I do agree that I think that this trailer was really funny. And I think the casting is good. And it was directed by the Wedding Crashers people, which is why um, uh, Rachel McAdams is back. So, I don't know. I'm about it. It in, comes out in October. Um, for all we know, we'll still be stuck inside. No, it's coming so. in, um, no, it's going to be in end of June. Really? Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, oh. June 26th. I'm a liar. It's not coming in October. It's coming now. No, so, the Mank, Mank is October. You're getting right. your again your your films confused. Yes, uh, you know it is very easy to confuse the Eurovision Song Contest and Mank directed by. David. I would love to see a Eurovision film directed by David Fincher. That would be uh, incredible. I would watch it. What do you think? Um, I'm really excited for laughter. Yeah. I'm excited to not like be on my phone for like an hour and a half looking at chaos and like just well, escape for a little bit. I'm pretty excited for that. And again, I stand Dan Stevens, uh, the guest. I can I can make that recommendation every week on this podcast. The guest is fucking great movie with an yes. amazing soundtrack and score um we reviewed it uh, and i remember we so posted the good. review i'm like who the hell is this dan stevens guy little did i know yeah who is this handsome devil who is this handsome son of a bitch he you know what I, I think this is not an outrageous claim but i think he is where ryan reynolds oh not ryan reynolds where where Ryan Gosling is now in terms of the cool factor, Dan Stevens has had it from the get-go. And, like, he's a couple years away from, like, his Oscar nom. I agree with the second part of he's a few years away from his Oscar nom. I don't think he's as mainstream cool as Ryan Gosling, though. Not what I was going for. I was going for, like, Ryan Gosling, like, he, he makes drive – his career completely changes in terms of like people's perspective of him. Dan Stevens has that. Like if you watch the guest, you're like, this guy fucking rules. That was, that was uh, Gosling's movie was drive. Kind of, I think Dan Stevens has had it from the get go. And like, if you watch like Legion, he's like streets ahead in terms of, uh, we're going community references. He's streets ahead of like from anyone else in terms of like actual, like he never won. Was he nominated or win an Emmy for Legion? No, it's just one of those shows that gets overlooked. A lot of the FX stuff gets shafted. This is a fascinating conversation for me because I have not seen Dan Stevens in anything other than Downton Abbey. So the way that you guys are talking badass dude i'm like he was in beauty and the beast he's fucking chubby matthew who gets hit by a lorry it's like no spoiler alert there dude i'm never gonna watch that he got hit by it i didn't say anything else happened cole can you please show her the guest for the love of god it's scary well no no it's like an action movie i remember the trailer and i was like who let matthew crawley get ripped 
it's like it's like suspenseful ish. It's really good. It's really well made. It's like a throwback kind of film. Yeah, uh, it's, like a, then, it's like a Halloween movie, even though it's not like. And then start on Halloween. He was also in uh, Her Smell, which was a uh, he, he he did some stuff in that, which was Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, he's he's circling that Oscar hard. Yeah, um, but like. I can just recommend Legion. Legion is four seasons of, of like, like the storytelling in that is just insane. I mean, I mean, it's Noah Howley. Like uh, that's I think Holly. that's how you say it. yeah Noah Hawley. Like if you like Fargo, you're gonna love Legion. And again, it's unlike anything you've ever watched on television. Um, oh, it's great. criminally underrated show. Legion looked very dark and interesting. Oh, it's great. It's the best X-Men thing that's been made, like, live action. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why it didn't get any Emmys or anything, because people are like, I don't want to give a superhero show an Emmy. There you go. But again, I think there's a stigma for FX. Like, Always Sunny is probably one of the best comedies of all time, and it's now the uh, longest-running live action Mm -hmm. show, I believe, ever. Uh, no, that's a lie. No, There's no, it's, something specific. It's the longest running live action comedy. Thank you. Um, never got an, uh, a, a nomination. Well, you know what? It's, I think FX does get some stuff. I really think it's just because, um, because you, you have to remember, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, the OJ Simpson show definitely right. won a ton, and so did, uh, Assassination of John. Versace, that was FX yeah. as well. Yeah. But they both had the Ryan Murphy factor. Yeah, but I mean, Horror Story. And Horror Story had some Emmy nominations too, I think. Probably the original run, right? Uh, no, to... some of the, I think, I want to say some of the uh, earlier years had, um, had some supporting yeah. actor and actress nominations. Yeah, so remember that this conversation started with a new Netflix movie with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams and is... <laughs> Gone off into why don't they nominate any FX shows? Uh, Let's talk about podcast. Werner Herzog uh, convincing everyone to use uh, real puppet. In, uh, the I just watched that episode. Uh, so did I. It's great. Uh, by the way, that's a great recommendation. We've talked about it on this podcast before the uh, uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which is basically a behind the scenes uh, series about the making of the Mandalorian. Includes this week, I think. The oh, episode that's depressing. It's great because yeah, like Bill, you've said it multiple times. Like it reminds you of uh, Favreau's uh, uh, dinner, dinner of five. Yep, dinner with five. Yes, I loved that show. I've been telling Cole about it. I remember watching it on Netflix years ago, but I don't think there's a way to watch it now. No, nah, you, you can watch it on YouTube. Like you can, you can find like specific episodes. Yeah, the, probably the Kevin um, Smith one is on there. That was one of the more famous ones. He, I think he, he, was on that one. Well, he did one where he guest hosted. For Favreau, which is great because it's him, Jason Lee, Ben Affleck, uh, Stan Lee, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, oh, it's going to irritate me. Well, I know Carlin was on one. Oh, it may be J.J. Abrams. Like, it's a very weird but awesome group of people. Like, you should definitely check yep. it out. That's um, like uh, that's like his chef show. Chef, yeah, yeah that's good too. Um, yeah, so, he, yeah. so basically he, he brings in different people like he'll have all the directors of the episodes uh, mm. he'll have select cast members like I think they almost make Carl Weathers cry on one episode 
Oh yeah, a Gina Carino makes him. Gina Carano up. basically puts him over like huge, and he's just like, oh. I'm sorry. Like I was not expecting all these nice things to be said yeah. about me. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's super cool. And the greatest part, besides getting to see like them do uh, the Baby Yoda stuff, was um, there is a part earlier in the series where the producer, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Filoni, uh, the producer who is like the the he shepherd of stuff. Yeah, he basically tries to convince you and almost succeeds in saying why the prequels matter. And it's he tries. like like he almost goes off for like 10 minutes and it's just like beautiful and you're like, "Oh, maybe he's right." And then you have to really like 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 almost like you're like a like a, a victim. Like, "Oh wait, what what is what are you doing to me? <laughs> you're 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 putting a spell on me, man." Um no, it's great. It's a great show and I recommend that. Uh, again, so off topic, but oh, it's great. Uh, we should end this segment uh, with Cole doing his Warner Hurt song impression. Oh, good call. Honor. Please. Oh, God. Do, do, do the bounty hunting. Bounty hunting is a dangerous profession, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was good. So good. Oh, my God. No, don't do the grizzly bad one. <laughs> That's the best. Oh, well, reason whatsoever, very good at voices, and he likes to torture me with his Warner Herzog one. Dude, yeah. Warner Herzog, right. Dude that was amazing. Uh, you know who, what's <laughs> his name, Melissa? Uh, right uh, uh, Thomas Middleditch. He did a pretty good one during Middleditch and Swartz. Like, a, a, basically the exact same quote. I uh, did a pretty, pretty good impression, uh, Cole. And that's a great way to end the pod. That's, that's the um, only way to end this pod. That is the only way to end the pod. So, um, Kat, where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, everyone can find me at Cat Goes to Shows uh, on Instagram. And I'm also on Twitter, Cat uh, with a K underscore wild with an E at the end. Uh, if you're, uh, I mentioned earlier, if you're interested in learning more about um, where to donate for Black Lives Matter and supporting um, uh, Black trans people and Black trans youth, I've been retweeting many, many things and have been sharing. Um, most recently, did a very long Instagram story about Black female photographers to follow, who are just so fucking amazing. Um, Please reach out if you would like their handles because they're doing some incredible work. Um, but yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Uh, Cole, I know you will refrain from being promoted, but you can uh, potentially see more of Cole's work on thepopbreak.com. Um, Bill, where can people find yo shit? Uh, uh, <laughs> what was that answer? R- response was, uh, like, I don't have, <laughs> like I don't have this thing memorized. Um, it's like, I mean, uh, at Bodkin writes W-R-I-T-E-S on Twitter, which is mostly just, it used to be just mostly wrestling stuff. Now I try and, you know, uh, use my voice for more important things. Um, and, um, like you know, AEW wrestling, like AEW wrestling, which, uh, Hey guys, uh, please hire me. My job is a festering hellhole. I would love to come work for you. Um, I would be great. Uh, it would be really a lot of fun. It'd be really swell. Uh, anyway, so that's my pitch for them. Uh, but most importantly, go to thepopbreak.com every single day. We are back to our regular posting schedule. We have a ton of television. 
uh, a ton of new podcasts. We just started like uh, a Genesis podcast. Um, Alex Marcus, our TV editor, his friends um, are really big Genesis fans. So we have a new weekly Genesis podcast series. So I'm like. Of the band? Yeah. Listen, man. When I say I welcome all ideas and opinions, I mean it. Because I don't know jack shit about what Genesis puts out. I know Phil Collins, No Jackets Required. Grew up with that (laughs) cassette. But yeah, so check that out. That's on uh, SoundCloud uh, and Apple Podcasts. Um, But yeah, go to at popbreak.com. Our social media manager, Alicia, is posting a lot of great stuff uh, about where you could donate, where you can become active, uh, material where you could just become a better ally and a better human being. I will recommend this YouTube video once again, like I did on the maybe episode that'll come out sometime, whenever. Um, Go to YouTube. Uh, type in Conan O'Brien, W. Kamal Bell. It's a great 30-minute interview. Um, sit yourself down, watch it. Um, it is uh, essential viewing. Uh, Kamal does, he, besides being a hilarious man, there's a lot of great information you could take about that, uh, how to just be a better ally and just be a better human being during this time because that is definitely needed. Um, so, yes, like I said, at popbreak.com on Twitter, a lot of stuff, you know, not only our stories, but um, stuff for... Black Lives Matter, uh, black trans organizations, and uh, organizations uh, for the LGBT uh, plus. I don't know all the letters. I apologize. Um, it, you know, for charities for that because that are, is this is Pride Month still. Um, and I think we've overlooked that a little bit. Uh, but um, you know, we're at the Pop Break on Twitter forward slash popbreak.com on Facebook, and once again, the popbreak.com. We have tons of stuff coming here. And uh, I am Al Manorino on Twitter, and I'm also Al Manorino on Instagram. I just uh, purchased a new camera, and I've been taking photos. Yeah, Kat, we'll talk about it right after this pod. Um, I just purchased a new camera. I know. (laughs) And uh, I've been taking photos of uh, my beautiful wife and my incredibly adorable son, um, who just uh, will not like let go of my wife in any way it's pretty hilarious actually he uh i could be hit by a car and he'd be like mama get used mama. to it brother get used I know. to it it's all good one day one our day our wives are better than we are we just have to accept that shit because it's true also hey if you're gainfully employed out there and want to throw out lots of money please hire him he is yeah, literally an ace and can do it all. He's the five tool player you need for your company. He is the fucking man. That's why you always ask Bill Bodkin to be your recommendation, by the way. Um, hire him. He's the fucking best. Oh man. The perfect way to end the pod is a money ball reference. Um, oh, thanks. Completely unintentional. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for a, a uh, another episode of socially distance. We will see you next week. Watch Moneyball. Watch Moneyball. Thank you. Bye.